Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, very, very famous passage. We all know it, and most of us, we could memorize it, and we could give it back right now. We're seeing great truths, of course, from, from in our study. We're calling uh, being a saint, our union in Christ. We're seeing the part that we're set apart and holy. And, of course, to be set apart means to be holy. And all who believe in Jesus Christ, we're set apart one, we're called saints. In this study, we've been seeing God's plan of salvation, sanctification. That's what we're calling it. We realize the importance of knowing great biblical truths. As we begin uh, these last, as we begin these last lessons, because we got lessons ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, and fourteen, and ten, eleven, twelve, and thirteen all kind of go together. We're going to see some great biblical truths. We're going to get a lot more practical as we move to the application part. We want to live out who we are. If you look at your handout, it says we want to live out who we are, our position in Christ, our lifestyle in Christ. Our position in Christ is we're holy and set apart. That's who we are. Our position, holy which means set apart. And then the second part there on your handout is our lifestyle. And our lifestyle is to walk worthy. That's the goal, is to, li- to walk worthy, to live out who we are. So our position is holy. Our lifestyle, the goal, is to live out who we are. That's what we've been seeing. So as we're continuing, we're in the lifestyle aspect. We see details concerning what we call our progressive sanctification. That's the Christian life, where we are. We're going to get very practical in these final lessons. In fact, in this lesson, we're going to see one of the most famous passages. It's Romans 12, 1 and 2. Now, we all say, well, I, I know it. I know it. All. And, and you do. But we want to see some things there that might really help us. The truth found here, really the foundation, if we're going to live out who we are. And so I pray this will be a great challenge for us as we look at it uh, this morning, tonight, or whenever anybody's listening to this thing. Uh, As we begin, most of you have heard of the book, Ben Hur. A lot of people say, well, I've done heard of the book, but I've seen, heard of the movie. Well, the movie is based off the book, Ben Hur. It's called A Story of the Christ. A lot of people don't know that. The subtitle, it says, Ben Hur, A Story of the Christ. It was written by a man by the name of Lou Wallace, who uh, actually was a Union general or a Union officer in the Civil War. Uh, the story of Judah Ben-Hur, or Ben-Hur, is a story about a Jewish man living at the time of Jesus. And here's some background. Ben-Hur, by an accident, was sold into slavery. So he's a Jewish man sold into slavery, becomes a slave. He's on a galley. So he's one of those guys underneath in the boat, and they're rowing, and the guy's beating the drum, and they, they do that. But he was the slave of the owner of the ship. One day the ship was hit by another ship. They hit together and the ships began to sink. And Judah Ben-Hur somehow escaped. He's in the water and he looks around and he sees his master drowning. And so he swims over to him and saves his life. After they're rescued, the owner makes Ben-Hur his son. He adopts him and he gives gives him the family. He gives him a ring. And so he moves from being a slave to being a son. And he has to learn. He had to... He learned how to live as a slave. Now he has to learn to live as a son. Well, realize we experienced the same thing. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We're slaves of sin, and we live like slaves. But when we trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, we become sons of God. We're adopted into the family. So we who lived as slaves 
lives must now live as children of God, as those who are adopted, as those who are called saints. And that's why Ephesians 4 is so powerful because it talks about walking worthy of our calling. Our calling is our children of God. And as we put up here, this is what we're supposed to do. This is now who we are, holy and set apart. And we've got to, as the adopted sons, as adopted children, we're to live out who we are in Jesus Christ. So that's really the key to the whole thing, and that's powerful. So what is our position in Christ? It is, and if you got your hand out there, it says, what is our position? Our position is we're in Christ and we're holy. So in Christ and we're holy, set apart. What is, that's, our, that's called positional sanctification. But what is our state? This is our experience, and the goal is we're becoming like Christ. That's the plan. That's the plan. And that's what we want. We want our position and our state to be the same. This is called progressive sanctification. This is positional sanctification. This is progressive sanctification. And so this is what we know. We know that the moment we trust to Christ, we're a new creation. We're a child of God. We're all of those things are holy and set apart. The goal is live out who we are. And that's why we've talked about the idea of living righteously and godly in this present age. If you remember that uh, the, the positional sanctification is our past tense, progressive sanctification is the future tense, and ultimate sanctification, excuse me, progressive sanctification is present tense, and ultimate sanctification is future tense. Now, what we did, we've talked about that God has provisions for us. And if you look at the top of your second page, we're going to see God's provisions for us. And this is what we've been looking at in these last lessons and we saw that first of all he's given us the word of God that's provision number one the word and if you want to write out beside the word write the foundation because that's what the word of God is is the foundation for everything we do the second thing that he's given us God's provision is the Holy Spirit and so as you write out Holy Spirit there if you want to write out beside it you can write the word the power because that's the power to live the word of God is the foundation to live the Holy Spirit is the power to live. The third one down is the blank, and it just says ourselves. And when we think about ourselves, that's the discipline. That's where we discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness and that we live righteously and godly. And we have the study, if, you've, if you're listening, you may have never known, we have a study called Discipline Yourself for the Purpose of Godliness. It's a Discipline for Godliness. It's a great study. It's 14 lessons really gets into the part of living out who we are. And then the fourth one down is the one that just says others. That's fellow believers. And if you want to write out beside that, write out the partners. And so God's provision is the Word of God, the foundation, the Holy Spirit, which is the power, ourselves, which is the discipline, and others that are the partners. And so we're continuing now to focus on the Christian life. The goal is to live out who we are. This is our progressive sanctification. You might even say that it is to walk worthy of our calling. Now what I want to do, if you notice on your handout, it says in the next lessons. So we're really in lesson, uh, these last few lessons, we saw less, this is uh, lesson 10, then lesson 11, and then 12 and 13. That's four lessons to go. In these next lessons, number one, we see our service. I want you to write that down. That's going to be lesson 10. That's going to be lesson 10, and our service has to do with Romans 12, 1 and 2. And if you want to write that out beside there, how do we become like Christ? We see the key, and that's all for in our lives. That's lesson 10. Lesson 10. Then number two in the next lesson is our walk. So number one is our service, number two is our walk, and that's going to be lesson 11. 
and that is how do we live out who we are? What is this walk of the Christian life? And that's pretty powerful, and that's we'll see that in the next lesson. And then number three, I have uh, our areas. So our service, our walk, and our areas. And in our areas, that's going to be lessons 12 and 13. And of those lessons, we're going to see four different things. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you those four things in just a little bit as we go through the study. I just want you to be aware of them. We'll get to them uh, not in Lesson 10, not in Lesson 11, but when we get to Lessons 12 and 13. Now, here's the key to all this. This is where we get very, very practical. We talked a lot about justification, sanctification, glorification. We talked about positional sanctification, progressive sanctification, ultimate sanctification. We've talked about all the theological things. We even talked about some practical things, but in these lessons, the remaining lessons, we're going to really get as practical as we can get. So let, let's see what happens. What is the goal? What is the goal of our lives as a believer? As you know, Romans 8.29 says, For him, if you knew, foreknow, he predestined that we would be conformed to the image of his Son. So what is the goal of the believer? And that is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, to be like Christ. And that's the plan. And so if you think about it, okay, here's the goal. We've been made holy and set apart, and we've been placed in Christ. And so the goal is to be like Christ. That's the plan, to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So that's the plan as we go through this. And so we, we want to see that. We that are holy or set apart, we're to live it out. In fact, here's something I want you to think about it as you're still under that, what is our goal as a believer? They could, what we believe is, is our salvation, our eternal life, our position, our standing, our behaving is how we live this out. And so we want our behaving and our believing to be the same thing. It's not always true. I mean, I believe a lot of things, but I don't behave them out, you know, and, and that's, that's really the goal. And so in these three areas, and we, we mentioned it a while ago, we're going to look at our service, our walk, and our areas. That was in those three lessons, uh, the next uh, lessons that you saw just above you where it said one, two, and three. So let's start with our service. This is going to be this lesson today, lesson 10, our service. And the key, and this is the key in our lives, and it goes back to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let's look at it. I hope you have your Bibles. Look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's a very famous verse. Almost, we, we all know it. We could all quote it, but let's just read. Let me read it. It says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, we're going to talk more about this in a minute, to present your bodies. There's the key. Present your bodies a living holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. We'll talk about what that means. And then he goes on to say, and here we go, do not be conformed to this world. Literally stop being conformed to this world, but in contrast, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that, here's the results, you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, and acceptable and perfect. So those two verses, they're really long, and they've got a lot to it because this is the key to the Christian life. We've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. We were dead, now we're alive. We're a child of God. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. But the key to growth is when we offer our lives. Let me just say this. The moment I trusted Jesus Christ as Savior when I was 19, I, I immediately became a child of God. I immediately became right, righteous in the sense that God gave me his righteousness. Uh, I had the Holy Spirit come live inside of me. I could now begin to understand the Bible, all of those things. But my real growth did not happen and did not change until some years later when I came to the point where I did what Romans 12 says, and that is 
offer your life a living sacrifice. My life began to change drastically once I went from saying, okay, I have eternal life and I'm saved, to saying now I want my life to count for Christ. So let's think about the book of Romans for just a second. I have for you on your handout down there, it says Romans chapters 1 through 11 and chapters 12 through 16. And 1 through 11, we see what we call doctrine, okay? Doctrine, and you could put it, who we are in Christ. He gives all kind of stuff. The book of Romans may be one of the great books of all time. In chapters 1, 2, and 3, he tells us that we're all sinners. 3 and 4, he tells us how to be saved. You don't have to write any of this down. Chapter 5, the results of salvation. Chapter 6, uh, our identification, death, and resurrection. Chapter 7, the battle. Chapter 8 is the assurance of salvation. 9, 10, and 11, all about Israel. So all of that is doctrinal. And then you get to chapters 12 through 16, and the verses that we're going to look at this morning basically uh, are the key because it starts in Romans 12, 1 and 2, and in chapters Romans 12, chapters 12 through 16, this is how we live it out. So 1 through 11 is the doctrine, who we are in Christ. Chapters 12 through 16, how we live out who we are in Christ. Let me just say something. Paul does this all the time. If you remember the book of Ephesians, if you've ever studied Ephesians, chapters 1, 2, and 3 tell you who you are in Christ Chapters 4, 5, and 6 tell you how to live it out. It, you see the same thing in Romans. Chapters 1 through 11, who we are in Christ. 12 through 16, how to live it out. In the book of Galatians, chapter 1 and 2 deal about the gospel. In chapter 3 and part of 4, he begins to talk about Christian life. And then in chapters 5 and 6, how to live it out. So he does this all the time. So in Romans 1 through 11, who we are in Christ, but chapters 12 through 16, how to live it out. Well, now, let's get to the key. And by the way, behavior follows doctrine. Doctrine is what we believe. Behavior is basically living it out. Behavior follows doctrine. Whatever we believe, we're supposed to live out. That's what's supposed to happen. And sometimes we say, I believe this, but we don't, we don't let it follow. Because deep down we're saying, if I really believe this, I would be doing this. Okay, so let's think about it, and let's look at probably one of the most famous verses of all, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Look at chapter 12, look at verse 1, and let me read the first part. He says, therefore I urge you, brethren. If you want to write down on your handout, he says, I blank you, brethren, I urge you, brethren. The word urge, and, and is and we want to see a lot in these first words, the word urge is sometimes translated beseech, I beseech you, brethren. We're going to come back to this, but let me remind you again, notice how he starts the chapters. Anybody look at it? What does it say? It says, therefore. And if you remember, therefore is a result of what's gone before. All in chapters 1 through 11, who we are, our security, the power. He says, all of this is true. Therefore, it's to make a difference. Therefore, we're to live out who we are. And notice he says, I beseech you. What does the word beseech mean? It's from the Greek word parakaleo, which means to call beside. And to beseech means I'm, I'm asking somebody to come alongside of me. I'm, I'm, I'm needing help or I'm begging you or I'm urging you. And so he's saying, I'm begging you, I'm urging you. It's really a powerful word. He's telling them, come, I want you to come alongside. I'm begging you, brothers. And notice this, that he says, I therefore urge you, brethren. And one of the things Paul is 
writing to believers. This is the key. I've had people come to me and say, here's a salvation passage, and they pull out Romans 12.1, and it says, I beseech you, brethren, to offer your lives to God. And they say, this is the salvation passage, and this is how you get saved. I said, no, no, it's not a salvation passage. He's writing to believers. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. He's already talking to believing people, and the charge for them is to serve. He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. We need to talk about, for just a second, this whole issue here. Because when people say, in order to be saved, you offer your life to God. I've had people come up to me and say, salvation is when you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you make Him Lord of your life, and you agree to serve Him. That's called Lordship Salvation. Some people use this verse, and as we said a while ago, this verse is written to believers, not for people to be saved, but because they already are saved. So let's stop for just a second. And what is Lordship Salvation? Lordship Salvation is where a person says that you make Jesus the Lord in order to be saved. And what they mean by that is that you basically agree that you're going to live for Christ, that you're going to give Him your life to serve Him, and that saves you. And what a lot of people who are into Lordship Salvation, they don't actually realize that this is works. I mean, you're saying, I give you my life to serve you, and you will save me. It's like a swamp process. And they'll even say that if you are not living for Jesus Christ, you're not saved. And so we want to understand that lordship salvation is basically telling people you must agree to serve God in order to be saved. And if you're not serving him, you're not saved. The problem is there are people who will say, okay, I give you my life, Jesus, uh, to, to save me, and I'll serve you. And then as they get going as a Christian, they're not serving him, or they get sin in their life, and then what do they do? They say, well, I, I either lost it or I never had it because now I'm not serving him, and that's what I agreed to do to be saved, and so it's really confusing. I want you to remember there is a, a difference. What is the difference between salvation and discipleship? Because offering your life is actually a discipleship issue and not a salvation issue. So what's the difference between salvation and discipleship? Number one, put down salvation. Salvation is a what? It's a gift. It's a gift from God. It's the gift. Write out Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 beside that. It's a gift from God. It actually costs us nothing. It comes simply by faith. So to sal- the salvation message is not you give your life to Jesus, you will get baptized, or you make a public profession, or you walk down some kind of aisle, or you do something. Salvation is a gift. It's not by what we do. It's simply faith alone. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you are saved through faith, and that, that not of yourself. It's not what you do. It's the gift of God. It's not at work lest anyone should boast. And so the difference, first of all, salvation costs us nothing. And then number two is discipleship. And discipleship costs us our lives. It is a walk of faith. It is living out who we are. And if you want to write out uh, where you wrote Ephesians 2, 8, 9 by number 1, write out Mark eight thirty four by number 2. This is where it says, Jesus says, basically, you cannot be my disciple unless you take up your cross, unless you die to yourself, unless you follow me. In fact, he says, take up my cross. What does it mean to take up cross? It means to die to self. So Paul, when he says in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you to offer your lives, he's writing to believers, and he's not talking about salvation. He's talking about discipleship. Salvation is a gift. Discipleship costs us our lives. So there's some really powerful, powerful things. So when we start talking about offering lives, 
We're talking about progressive sanctification. We're not talking about justification. We're not talking about positional sanctification. We're talking about the Christian life. And so as we offer our lives to Jesus for service, we become more and more like him. So how does he start off this chapter? He's been telling them all this stuff in chapters 1 through 11, and he says, Now, therefore, based on what I've told you, Therefore, I beg you, I beseech you, I urge you, believers, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. And we're going to talk more about that. And so if you look at your handout, I've got three aspects. There's the command, the method, and the result. If you want to, here's the command, to offer our bodies. That's the command, to offer our bodies. That's powerful. And it's that simple. Once again, this is not anything to do with salvation. This has to do with discipleship. Number two, the, the second thing down is the method. And the method is not being conformed, but being transformed. Not being conformed, but being transformed. We all know the verse, and we've known it many times, but this is the bottom line. The command is to offer our bodies. The method is not be conformed, but be transformed. And then the results. The results is knowing God's will, which is amazing. And because this is what he actually says, this is how you can know God's will for your life as you do these things. And so it's, it's amazing, the truths that are there. So what do we have? We have the command to offer our bodies, the method not being conformed, but being transformed. And the results is that you know God's will for your life. So let's start with the command. And this is powerful, and for, for all of us listening to this, I want you to think about this. Okay, here we are. We have trusted in Jesus Christ. We have eternal life. We're saved, and we're saved forever. And now, what does he want us to do? He says, I'm, I beg you. I beg you, believers. I beg you, fellow believers. Here's what I want you to do. And if you notice carefully, he says, I urge you, therefore, believers, brethren. And then he says something, by the mercies of God, and then he gives the command to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. So let's stop. And he says, first of all, I beseech you, brethren, as the command. And he says, by the mercies of God. What does he mean by that? He says, I present you, brethren, uh, by the mercies of God. The mercies of God are all the things that God's done for us. And so when we think about that, he's given us the power, he's given us the Holy Spirit, he's given us blessings, he's given us rewards, God has given us everything that we need, we've been given spiritual gifts, the Word of God, fellow believers, the power of the Holy Spirit, all of this is the mercies of God. Think about that. We've, we've, we've seen, what in the world had he done for us? Well, I think of it this way. I say, well, first of all, he, gave, he, he, made, he made me a new creation, he gave me the Holy Spirit, he gave me the Bible. He gave me fellow believers. He's he given me spiritual gifts. I mean, he's given us all of these things. These are the mercies of God. So he's basically saying now, therefore, based on everything I've told you, I urge you, I beg you believers, based on what God has done for you by the mercies of God. And that, by the way, service, our service for God is because of what he's done for us. We serve him out of love and thankfulness. And we say, wow, thank you for all you've done for me. We don't serve God out of fear. We don't serve God out of trying to hold on to salvation. We serve God based on his mercies to us. We serve him because of all that he's done for us and because our love for him. And so he says, I beseech you, therefore, brother, by the mercies of God, because of what he's done for you. And then here is that the command. And it's simply put, basically, to offer our 
bodies. Now think about that. He doesn't just say offer your life. And sometimes when we say life, we think about mentally and what we're thinking. He's saying offer your body. And he says present your bodies. And this whole thing is tied together. That We're talking about our lives, our bodies, our physical bodies. I mean, it's not just what I think. It's me as a whole person. <coughs> he says, I therefore urge you, brethren, by the mercy of God, present your bodies. You notice he didn't just say present your lives. He said present your bodies. So let's talk about that, uh, present our bodies. And let me, let me go back to this. We're saying present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. We'll come back to uh, sacrifice in just a second. But uh, when you think about a sacrifice, that is to, uh, to, to give something out to sacrifice something. Now, present means to place at disposal. It's basically saying, I give you my life. And by the way, in the original language, it's in what they call the heirs tense, which means it's a one-time thing. Now, we know this, that you can say, at, at a point in time in your life, you say to God, I give you my life. You don't have to keep giving in your life over and over in that sense because that's a one-time thing. You present yourself as the entire person. Now, every day you may get up and say, Lord, take my life, use me today. It's based on the fact that you've already given him your life. So the way this is written in the language is basically saying, you present yourself to God, and that's it. You're doing it. You're presenting it. So he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living and holy acceptable. So notice that our bodies, there's three things there. Notice he says, present your bodies as living and holy sacrifices acceptable to God. So I put down there for you, living, holy, and acceptable. So let's talk about it. The idea of living. I beseech you, brethren, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Uh, that means to be used while you're alive. I mean, think about this. Uh, there's a contrast. In the Old Testament, what, what were the sacrifices like? They took an animal, they put their hands on the head, and they killed the animal. It was a dead sacrifice. The sacrifices in the Old Testament were basically dead sacrifices. Though the contrast between the Old Testament sacrifices, which were dead and covered sin, the New Testament sacrifice, which is in Christ, uh, it paid for sin, but our New Testament sacrifice is alive. It's our bodies. So he says, present our bodies living, and then he says holy, and we already know what holy means. It means set apart. And when he says living and holy sacrifice, that means a pure. We want to live right. We want to live godly. We want, we want to be, be like Christ. We want to be holy. So he says take your body and offer it to God living as you live, as you're holy. And then, and then he says one other thing, acceptable. Notice what he says, acceptable to God. The word acceptable means pleasing. So write the word pleasing beside that. This is pleasing. When we offer our lives to God in service, this is pleasing to God. So he says, I urge you, I beg you, based on what we've already known, I beg you, fellow believers, to offer your bodies. Because based on what God is doing for you, all his mercies, what he's done for you, I ask you to offer your life. It is a living sacrifice. It's a holy sacrifice. And it's a pleasing sacrifice. In the Old Testament, they offer dead sacrifices. In the New Testament, we offer living sacrifices. And uh, if you really take the time, if you go to either First or Second Peter, where he talks about uh, building a holy temple, that we are the stones 
that we are the living stones building the temple of God. The temple of God is the church right now, the body of Christ. And he says that's what we are. And so notice, uh, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. And then the last part of the verse sometimes confuses people because he says, which is your spiritual service of worship? So I have down there for what does that mean, spiritual service of worship? The, the spiritual service of worship basically is saying this is what's the logical things to do. In fact, the, the word there literally means a logical spiritual service. And so this is doing something that is from a, a, this is going to sound a little bit weird, but the Greek word has the idea of religion. Now, when we say religion, we mean religion, uh, we think religion, we think, oh, that's man trying to please God. But this word has an idea of, of, of godliness, uh, uh, holiness, going back like to the Levitical priest, they had a spiritual service to God. And so he's actually saying, you offer your life in a spiritual way, in spiritual service to God, in serving Him. This is the logical thing to do. If you remember in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, by grace you say through faith, not yourself, get to God, not a verse of the joint you boast. And he says, for we are His workmanship. That means we're His poem, we're His thing, created to do good works. We're created to do something. So what does he mean, spiritual service of worship? He's saying this is the logical thing that you do. You serve God in a spiritual way. That's what he's talking about. We, we would say it, you do ministry. We do ministry. Our whole lives are ministry. Let me just stop for a minute. And, and there are so many people who, who uh, they look at life this way. They say, well, I got church on Sunday. I got my job Monday through Friday. I got my hobbies on basically on Saturday and part of Sunday as well. And then I've got my family and I got this. And it's all separated into groups. And I've had people say, what's the most important thing? And they start off and they say, family. Sometimes they put God, family, work, hobbies. And they say, how do you do it? Well, you have to line them up. Well, it doesn't work that way. It actually works this way. God's in the center, and there's family, and there's work, and there, everything goes around it. God is the center of everything. Okay, And so when he says, you offer your life in a spiritual service, your whole life is tied around, whether it's your job or your family or whatever, this is how you serve the living God. He wants us to live for Him. So here's the charge. Based on everything we know, He begs believers to offer their lives, living lives, holy lives, pleasing lives, which is to be expected of one as they serve the living God. So that's the command, right? So how do we feel about that? We say, what is God commanding us to do? Give our lives. Give our lives in service. And it's not just how we think, it's our whole body. And it's to be living, it's to be holy, it's to be pleasing. It's the logical thing we would do based on what he's done for us. And this is how we serve him. And I, I love it in the finance that it doesn't say every Sunday you set apart your life for God. He says all the time you set apart your life for God. That's what it boils down to. Okay, so that's the command, okay? Now, let's see the method. If you remember, the method was twofold, and if you want to write it down there, it was twofold. Don't be conformed. Be transformed. That's the top of the next page. The method is twofold. Don't be conformed. And if you want to write it out all the way, you can say, don't be conformed to the world, 
but be transformed by the word. That's really the method. And so if you said, okay, so you're telling me to offer my life to God in service. Well, exactly how do I do that? Well, he says, you make a decision to present your body to God, and then how do you do that? Well, you don't be conformed to the world, and then what? You be transformed by the word. So let's see this because this is where it really gets, this really gets where it gets practical. Okay? He starts off with a negative statement. My Bible says, and do not be conformed to this world. Now, literally in the Greek, it actually says, stop being conformed to this world. The way it's written in the Greek language, it's like he's saying, stop being conformed. You are being conformed. You're not watching what you're doing. You're being shaped by the world. So he says, stop being conformed to this world. And the word conformed, of course, if you really, if you think about it, uh, the, the word conformed has the idea of being shaped and molded. And I mean, I don't know anything about cooking. I know Gene can cook anything and do things. But, you know, I remember, remember going to uh, uh, one of my cousins when we'd have like a big Thanksgiving growing up. And one of the ladies always made this jello, you know, and she had put it in this mold and then she flipped it over and there's this big jello thing in the shape of something. And we'd say, well, that's a mold. That's what that does. It shapes it. And so he says, stop being conformed. And that the, the word conformed there means molded. It means shaped and be shaped to this world. He's basically saying, stop letting this world shape you. Now, we know many, many times we've talked about the fact that we live in a fallen world and this world is out there and it is shaping us. And we've said many, many times, you don't even realize it, but it's shaping you whether you realize it or not. And so Paul says, stop being shaped by the world. Stop being conformed by this world. Uh, uh, J.B. Phillips has a translation. It's, it's like a paraphrase. And he translates it and he says, don't let this world squeeze you into its mold. That's what he says in his translation. Let's talk about the world's values for a second. I've got four things there just for fun. Number one is the world thinks of things rather than people. Things rather than people. It's true. You know, the world says what's important is the things you have, the house you have, the car you have, the things you have. And, and what's not, it, it, the world doesn't say people are important. And, and number two, the world says it's temporal rather than eternal. What does the world say? Live for today, for tomorrow you may what? You may die. So the world says live for today. The temporal, we can only see right now. I think with this virus out there, people are saying, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What can I do every day? We've got to look further. I mean, there's more to it. And the bottom line is the, we have Jesus Christ and we have the hope of eternal life and we have all of these things. And so we're not looking just at the eternal. But the world says what's important is right now, not necessarily anything in the future. The third thing for the world, the world has pride rather than humility. Pride rather than humility. It's very rare when someone does something and they, you know, if you see athletes or stars or something, they'll say, yes, I am the greatest or I did this or I, you know, I was, it's, it's, everybody says, this is what I did. In fact, people say things, look, if you don't say it, nobody else is going to notice you. You got to stand up for yourself. You got to make it known. Well, the world says pride rather than humility. And then the fourth thing I see in the world's value is receiving rather than giving. The world says, what do I, what do you have to offer me? I think about churches, I'm just going to be real honest and blunt sort of, but I mean, I think about churches and a lot of people, when they look for a church, 
They say, what do you have to offer? What can you give me? What kind of child care? What kind of parking lot? What do you, when are your service times? What, what do you do this? How is your music? I, I want to know all these things because I want to see what you have to offer me. In reality, the, we as believers meet together to use our gifts and talents to serve each other. Not what we can get, even worship. When we come to worship God, people say, I didn't get anything out of that. I said, well, worship is not you getting out of it. Worship is you giving to God. Worship is you responding to God as you sing, as you pray, as you give, as you study. So when a person says, I didn't get anything out of it, I said, well, that's right, you didn't worship. Worship is you responding to God. You know, you will get, I mean, the truth is when you're worshiping God and, and responding to Him, uh, you're gonna, you're gonna probably get something out of it, as some people would say. But the world says things more than people, temporal more than eternal, pride rather than humility, receiving rather than giving. What did Jesus say? It is more blessed to give than receive. And so the world's values are just the opposite. And the bottom line here is you gotta be careful because the world is shaping us. It's forming us. It's molding us. So he says, stop being molded. Stop being conformed to the world. And then here's the positive. And he says this, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the second part is be transformed. And it literally is, be, keep on being transformed. That's what the, the Greek is. Keep on, keep on being transformed. We're going to talk more about renewing your mind in just a second, but let's stop for a second. He says, so stop being conformed, but keep on being transformed. Now, the word transform means change from the inside out. That's what it really means. We get the Greek word, or we get the word, our word, metamorphosis. I mean, we all say like this butterfly went from, you know, some worm-looking thing to this beautiful butterfly because it was a metamorphosis. It was a change basically from the inside out. That's what... Uh, being transformed is. It's being changed from the inside out. Because who are we on the inside? We're children of God. We've been created in Christ Jesus. We're new creations. He's saying, don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed from the inside out, basically, to, to, to transform by the renewing of your mind. And he says, really, keep on being transformed. We're set apart. We're righteous on the inside. We need to, as we see in Philippians, if you want to write down Philippians 2.12, this is where it says, work out your salvation. That's what you're doing. When you're being transformed by the renewing of your mind, you're working out your salvation. You're putting God... And by the way, how are we transformed by the renewing of our mind? That is putting the Word of God in our brains. That's what it really is. Renewing of your mind is taking the truths of the Bible and putting your mind. Because you've got two things coming into you. You've got the world which is trying to shape you by its values, and you've got the Word of God, which is shaping you by the values. You've got two different things coming in. One of them's trying to conform you and shape you. The other's trying to transform you. One's trying to push you from the outside in. The other's trying to change you from the inside out. And by the way, that's why religion never works. When people say religion and you give people a set of rules, you cannot change people from the outside in. It won't work. It's like the world is shaping you. But we get changed from the inside out. And so he says, put the Word of God in our brains. That's why you memorize it, you meditate on it, you study it, you dig it, you make application. And so he says, stop being conformed to the world, but be transformed by the Word. I put my little, my little saying at the bottom, which I think is so true. It is this. 
If we are not consciously being transformed by the Word of God, we will unconsciously be conformed to this world. There's no doubt about it. If you, we don't consciously say, I'm going to put the Word of God in my brain, I'm going to be conformed, I'm going to be taking it in, I'm going to be living it out, I'm going to be changed from the inside out. If we're not consciously doing that, and say, we will unconsciously get shaped by this world. And that happens all the time. And so we've got to be really careful. So that, that's our method. Our method is to present... Uh, the, the, the charge is present your body. The method is not being conformed, but being transformed. And so, and I love this part, at, at, you know, because he says, if we're not consciously doing that, um, so the results, and then here, here's the bottom line. So we've seen the command to offer your lives. Uh, the method, not being conformed to the world, being transformed by the word. The results is this, is we will know God's will. And here's the key. God's will is found in God's Word. That's one of the things we have to recognize. God's will is found in God's Word. And so God's will is what He wants us to do. And I want you to notice what He says is this. Uh, be not com- uh, conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that, here's the result. See, that's what that, the Greek word so that is actually saying. Here's the results of renewing your mind, that you would prove what the will of God is, that which is good, and acceptable and perfect. And I put the three words down for you. I put good, pleasing, and perfect because acceptable means pleasing. The, the will of God is good. That means it's morally right. If you want to write that down, it means it's morally right. The will of God is always morally right. It's pleasing, which means it's acceptable. It's what God wants. And then the third thing is perfect, which means it's complete. Perfect in the Bible... Uh, doesn't mean necessarily without sin. The word perfect is is a word that means it's complete or it's ended or it's mature or it's got to a certain point. And so he's saying that God's will is complete. It's lacking nothing. So it's good, morally right, it's acceptable to God, it's pleasing to God, and it's uh, lacking nothing. It's always right, it's pleasing and complete. And so what do we see? As believers... We're to offer ourselves to God, no longer being shaped by this world, but being changed from the inside out by the Word of God, so we will know God's will. Now, I want you to think about this, because when we talk about the will of God, people get all confused, and I've done, I've done studies on it. We did studies in Grow Group on knowing God's will. I've done retreats on knowing God's will, and God's will is found in God's Word. We already know that you have, you have the Word of God, which is the specific will of God, which He tells us there are rights and wrongs, and as you study the Bible, you can know God's will for your life, and it's good, acceptable, and perfect. There are other things that you make decisions, and you don't have the Word of God to tell you. And in those decisions, you've heard me say many times, if it's not a right or wrong issue, if the Bible doesn't give you issues, then you have freedom to make what the Bible calls wise choices. And so this passage is basically saying, though, here, don't be conformed to the world. Don't be, let this world shape you, but you be changed from the inside out by the Word of God. You've got to know the Word of God, and as you know the Word of God, you will know the will of God because the will of God is found in the Word of God, and that's the key. So we want to know what God wants us to do. We want to live out our lives doing this will, uh, doing His will. So in this passage, we've seen the key to our lifestyle. It's our progressive sanctification. It's to offer our lives. So I want you to think about this for a second. Here's the flow of the passage. And we all know the verse, but think about this. He says this, therefore, based on everything I've taught you in these first 11 chapters, Paul says, therefore, 
I beg you, believers, by what God has done for you based on his mercies, because what God has done and our, and, and we're, our love and our thankfulness to God, I beseech you, brother, by the mercies of God, to present, to offer, to offer basically a one-time big offer to offer God your body, your life, as a living, holy, and pleasing sacrifice to God. A living sacrifice, a pleasing in God, a holy sacrifice to God, which is what you should do since it's logical because of what he's done for you. And here's how you do it. Stop being shaped by this fallen world and its values, but you keep on being changed from the inside out by the renewing of your mind by, based on the word of God as you know that, and as you do that, then you will be able to know God's will for your life that this good and acceptable and complete will of God. So what do we do? We offer our lives. So the applications I have for you, two things. Number one, let's offer our lives as a living sacrifice. This deals with our lives, our bodies. We offer to God for service, not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now let me just say this. There are many, many Christians. There are people who trust Jesus Christ as Savior. The moment they trust Christ as Savior, they're saved and saved forever. And so this is not an issue of salvation. This is to all of us who have believed in Jesus Christ as Savior. The charge, just hang it up, hang it up. The, um, sorry, my phone went off. Um, the charge is very simply put, and that is to offer our lives as living sacrifices. And this is not to be saved. This is because we are saved. And we as believers need to live out who we are. And so here's the charge to all of us. And by the way, let me say it again. I trusted Christ as Savior when I was 19. And I was changed immediately from, from a child of the devil to a child of God. From someone who was on the way to the lake of fire to now someone who has eternal life and will be in the kingdom and an eternal state and all of that. So I was changed immediately. But it wasn't until some years later that I said, God, I want you to take my life and use me for your glory, that I begin to really grow and change as a Christian. So here's my charge to all of us listening. Wherever you are, you, you, there are many of you listening to this that not only have you trusted Christ as your Savior, but you're a disciple. You've offered to God your life, and you say, God, I want my life to count for you. That's what you should do. If you're listening to this and you're a Christian, but you never have said to God, I want my life to count for you. I know it's a scary thing because what you're doing is giving up control of your life and you're saying to God, I want my life to count for you. And it is scary. But he knows better what to do with our lives than we do. And we think we know something. We don't know anything. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. He knows the end from the beginning. So let's offer our lives as a living sacrifice. Let's no longer let ourselves be shaped by this world. But let us... Get into the Word of God. Let us be transformed by knowing God's Word, knowing God's will, and living it out in our lives. So that takes us to the second application, which is let's know the will of God. And the way we know the will of God is by studying the Bible, is that digging it, by, by letting our minds be renewed as we put the Word of God in, as we study it, as we dig it, as we live it out. And uh, uh, we can do what He has for us to do because He gives it to us in the Word of God. May we no longer... Be, be like the world, but be changed by the word, being transformed to be like Christ as we offer our lives in service for God. May we do that. Our memory verse if you, is down there. It's, of course, 12, Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's a little bit long, but I think most of you know it already, and so let's memorize that uh, uh, so that we can put uh, God's word in our brain.